Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Cisco. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And to make sure that history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Hey, everyone, and we are back with another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. We are back with you in your ears again, this being a, uh, the beginning was a very science-heavy week this week with the uh, big solar eclipse blasting through the United States. Those of you who were uh, in other countries, well, next time, next time follow the sun and you get to, you get to see the moon, you get to follow the moon or the sun, then they eventually bump into one another. I guess that's how it works. I don't know. Well, anyhow, it's great to be back with you here. Late August, uh, you know, we're just around the bend. We're up only a month away now, really, from the uh, premiere of the new show, Star Trek Discovery. And I couldn't be more excited, and I hope you couldn't be either. Uh, but this does uh, offer us a little bit more time to look back. And uh, only a few short weeks ago, we were at the Star Trek convention, and we've got more interesting stuff that we brought back from you. You know, previous weeks... Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you heard some of our One Trek Mind panels, uh, our interviews with, um, who did we have? Uh, really groovy people like uh, like Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, who was probably had a very busy week this week with the uh, eclipse, and um, also the uh, we had some of the producers and writers of Discovery. And this week, uh, we've got two kind of fun pieces I wanted to share with you. Uh, one is an interview with Mike Johnson, who's somebody we've wanted to talk to since day one. Mike Johnson has written more Star Trek comics than anybody else on Earth. Anybody else in the Alpha Quadrant, or any other quadrant for that matter. And he's currently running the uh, Star Trek Boldly Go line, which is the continuing saga of the Kelvin timeline. Uh, he's written the uh, Starfleet Academy books. He's written a, pretty much all of the Kelvin stuff. Not all of it, but a lot of the Kelvin stuff has been his baby and then he does some non-kelvin stuff too and he is in fact going to be working on the discovery prequel comics which is going to be about the main character Takovma of the klingon empire which we don't know much about right now but we're going to know more about soon once the show starts and then a couple weeks later they're going to kick off with the debut of these comics so we're going to talk to him and he's got a funny career and how he kind of ended up where he is is a great story and then I thought as a goof, I would add something that, you know, it's um, <clears throat> end of the summer, uh, not exactly uh, star audio listening, but I thought it might be fun to throw it in there for what the heck. 
Uh, you know, we do a lot of fun stuff at the conventions. We did trivia every day, five days in a row, high noon. We did trivia. It was very fun, a lot of yelling and shouting, really entertaining stuff. Didn't record any of that because it didn't quite make sense. You kind of have to see it. But I did record the first ever official Starfleet Academy spelling bee. And uh, I think it's kind of funny. Uh, so I figured, what the hell, we'll play it. Um, unfortunately, there was a, a minor technical glitch. So we don't have the beginning of it. So you don't get to hear the rules. Eh, but the rules were a spelling bee. And you don't get to hear me uh, introducing all of the contestants. Uh, or many of them. Uh, so it kind of kicks off maybe about, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes into the the start of the spelling bee, thanks to a little error. But, you know, these things happen in life. But you get the gist of it. So think of it as bonus content. It's kind of funny. You might get a kick listening to it if you're in if you're in the car or washing the dishes or something. Uh, and uh, it kind of ends on a goofy note. So anyway, that's the Star Trek spelling bee. We're going to do more of those. So if you're planning to come to another convention... Uh, and there were prizes involved. There are prizes in all the stuff we do. So maybe if you come to another one, you could study this one really hard because chances are we'll be reusing some of it, I'm sure. Um, cool. So let's kick it off and we'll, we'll get to these um, uh, files in just a moment. But before we do, as, as always, you know, if you're the type of guy or gal who's going around recording a lot of uh, audio for a podcast of yours, um, you're going to want to have on your computer a lot of extra RAM, a lot of extra space. And you're going to need a solid-state drive from our friends at Western Digital, which, if you've been listening to the show, you've heard me say, they are the greatest, the only, and more importantly, the one that you can get a discount if you want to buy a, um, what the hell are they called? A hard drive. Yeah, a hard drive. So you go to WD.com slash engage, WD.com slash engage. You can check out the hard drives that we have on a special deal there. Uh, the blue and the black ones are the ones that you can get. And uh, if you use the code WDENGAGE, that's WOODENGAGE, WDENGAGE, you can get 20% off. Whoa! 20% off, no jive, 20% off of whatever uh, the grand total will be, which I'm sure is uh, uh, a very fair and estimable price to begin with, let alone 20% off. So WD.com slash gauge. All right, cool. Now you know the story with that, so let's kick back over to a few weeks ago and the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Everybody, there is, this is an exciting time in the world of Star Trek. As you know, we've got uh, 50 years of Star Trek lore. We have the Kelvin Universe timeline that's still zooming ahead, um, and we have uh, the imminent launch of Discovery. And tying it all together, of course, are our beloved ancillary products. And there is one man, if there is a man, who can, can be considered the Sultan of Star Trek comics, a man who has written more Star Trek comic books than any other sentient being in the Alpha Quadrant. Please welcome Mr. Mike Johnson. A big round of applause. All right. Mike, come grab a seat. Thank you for that. 
Check. We are uh, happy to have you here. Thank so you. Mike Johnson uh, has been writing uh, Star Trek comics primarily in the Kelvin timeline, but not exclusively, uh, with IDW Comics since the launch of the new um, Kelvin timeline uh, films. So the first ones that came out was uh, the very successful Star Trek Countdown, which, um, when did the first one hit? About five months before the movie? Yeah, I think we, we timed it so that um, it was actually like a countdown. So it was like, I think you're right, I think it was about five months. Yeah, because I remember like really getting excited about you know the next one that's coming out because at every last page it was like we didn't know anything about this new movie right because mr jj abrams likes to keep it all under wraps and it's like spock's got a crazy ship and who built it turn to the last page it's jordy laforge ah! and then you got to wait another month to find out so let's take a look back there it was if you remember they would wow. all come together and uh, these are images from uh, Star Trek Countdown. So the big question is, uh, Mike, how did you get the gig? I got the gig. Uh, I snuck in, actually. <laughs> I was uh, working in Hollywood. I was a peon in Hollywood, a minion. And I went to work at the production company of Alex Kurtzman and, and Roberto Orsi, who at the time, I started there in 2006. And uh, at the time, they had just gotten the gig and there was an outline called Same Ship, Different Day, which was the initial um, sort of nucleus of what would eventually become the 2009 movie. I had no idea. Was that like code so people wouldn't want to read it? Yeah, that was, that was the code. That was the Blue for, Harvest of Star Trek. It was Trek the Blue Harvard, uh, Blue Harvest of 2009. I, I can't believe I've gone this same, long. Same Ship, Different Day. I have never heard that yeah. factoid. That is a great factoid. And I think it actually stuck around until the first couple drafts. Like, it was the code name, basically. Wow. Actually, the code name for the production, and I think it's okay that I say this now, because it's... But when you're NDA, you're just afraid forever to right. say anything. <laughs> it was uh, Corporate Headquarters was the name of the production. Right, so people wouldn't want to go, like, who's going <laughs> right. to hang around for spy pictures of Corporate Headquarters? Exactly. It sounds boring. And you have, if you, if you live in L.A. or you visited, you know that they have these yellow... Um, bright yellow signs for filming, right? And they put fake names on them because you don't want to put Star Trek with an arrow and people are like, you know, it's not a good idea. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was corporate headquarters. And um, But what's funny about Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams that one time they did this also with a forthcoming movie and they just named it on the street where the offices were and they just right. called the movie Cloverfield. That's right. And then they never changed the name and that's how Cloverfield became Cloverfield was yeah. they never thought of anything better. That, so. that's, that's, sometimes that's how it happens. Yeah. <laughs> so you were working as a, you were like getting them coffee so, or so what yeah, were you doing? I was, exactly? uh, I was assistant to, uh, to one of their VPs and um, uh, at the same time, um, I started writing, I was invited by a friend uh, named Michael Green, who's now a very successful screenwriter who wrote uh, upcoming Blade Runner, he wrote Logan, and he was writing for DC Comics, and he and I go way back, and he knew that I was a failed comic book artist, so he uh, asked me to help him, like give him notes on his comic book scripts, and eventually he was like, why don't you just come do it with me? And I was like, okay. And I went to Alex and Bob, and, and I said, hey, I have this opportunity to, to, to work on some DC comics. Is it cool if I do that? And they were just like, you're an idiot. Of course you can go do that. <laughs> so 
they uh, they totally encouraged me in that way. And then about a year later, they were talking about doing a prequel comic, um, and Bob was really the one driving this idea that um, we could show so the TNG characters later um, past Nemesis uh, and see where they were and use them as a, as an engine, a story engine to to uh, introduce Nero and uh, Ambassador Spock. So when the possibility of the Countdown prequel came up, I had been writing for DC, so Alex and Bob were like, you should, you should write this. And I co-wrote it with Tim Jones, who's a, who was another employee of theirs. And we had David Messina on the art, who's fantastic, and just made it, sort of captured a cinematic feel to it. And actually, those covers there, John Van Sitters reminded me the other day that those covers are an homage to the posters, right? Yeah, the teaser posters for the 2009 movie that had. In fact, I think we did variant covers with the the actual. Yeah, photos. yes, yeah. you did because I have them all. Oh, thank um, you. In 2009, and in late 2008, it was Comic Con 2008 when they started with the first teaser posters right. for the new Star Trek movie, and it was four faces. And if you put them all together you could make the Delta Shield, but you needed a really, really big wall because these were movie-sized they, they were massive, yeah. And I was working at an office at the time uh, for a website called uh, UGO.com that doesn't exist anymore. It was a geek website, and we had a loft space in lower Manhattan, and it monopolized everything. And what was funny was, like, you know, people had their, like, favorite franchises there. Like, some people really love Star Wars, some people really love Marvel or DC, and I was, like, the Trek guy, and my little section dominated over everybody else's. But it was like, hey, it's the new movie, and it's big. What do you want from me? And, uh, yeah, they gave him out of Comic-Con, and I remember there was, like, a feeding frenzy of, like, you know, you needed all four. You needed the Uhura, you needed the Nero, you needed the uh, Spock, and you needed the Kirk. And there was, like, some, some woman, she's like... I have everything but the Nero. And she was like elbowing people out of the way of like, oh, Nero it's fans, vicious. man. Nero fans are, I know. they're out of control. Nero has the best line in all of Star Trek 2009. Hello, Hello Christopher. Christopher. <laughs> I'm Nero. That's <laughs> the best. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, so that was really cool. And that must have been really gratifying to watch that because the fans were really in a frenzy when that was happening. But then when Countdown ended, you stuck around, and here's some more of the work you've been doing. Uh, yeah. You can see um, there was the continuation of what at the time was just called Star Trek Ongoing. Yeah. And then there were, as that was happening, there were individual little miniseries within. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and one of them was the, uh, the Kittimer effect, the Kittimer conflict, yeah. right? And um, then there was Countdown into, into Darkness, and... Um, as we move forward, uh, left the ongoing and also started doing some additional work and something that is what wrapped up about a year ago, right? When did um, Starfleet Academy end? Yeah, about, about a year ago. There's a it's book that's, that's out there, and now it's in trade paperback, which is called Starfleet Academy, which is one of the coolest things in recent Star Trek. It is a young, okay. young well, it's geared toward young people, but I absolutely adore it. Um, and it is set in the Kelvin timeline, and it's a bunch of characters who meet at first year at the Academy. And um, uh, Mike, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the characters that are in this book. Yeah, so our lead character, Talon, is this Vulcan, young Vulcan woman who, who, the day she arrived at Starfleet Academy is the day that Vulcan blew up. So imagine going to college, off to college, 
and then your hometown is destroyed. Um, and the, the, the focus of the story is her journey into um, coming to terms with what's happened and getting to know her new friends, the other cadets you see there. And then the story is actually split into two timelines. We follow Talan in what is essentially the present of the movies, like Beyond. And, um, but then we flash back and we see Kirk and Uhura and Spock when they were cadets. Uh, if you remember the 2009 movie, there's that time when they're at the academy. So we explore that a little bit more. We had to be careful because, of course, Kirk and Spock don't meet until the movie, but Uhura knew them both. So she's, sort, she's the lead character of that timeline in the story. I co-wrote this with Ryan Parrott, who is um, my go-to co-writer for a lot of the stuff and used to be JJ's assistant. Um, he was JJ's assistant on Star Trek Into Darkness, so he knows just it's in his bones, in his bones. Um, how this all works. And then the art is by Derek Charm, who is incredible and basically creates um, an animated movie on the page. Yeah, and it really does pop on the page. It's really very fun and, uh, you know, they have, it's kind of like cute adventures, but then it gets serious. And yeah, there's there's some, I mean, your planet blew up, so it's yeah. not like. <laughs> but then there's also some really fun additional characters. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, I believe his name is Tavel. Is that his It's uh, Vel. Is, Vel. Vel is the, the one. Alien-looking guy right behind Talon. He's a Monchezkin, which uh, is a new species from the movies. You see what we are calling his grandmother on the Kelvin at the beginning of the 2009 movie. Ah. And Vel is a species that, um, on their home planet, they communicate telepathically, so they're not really used to talking out loud. And when Vel talks out loud, he just describes what's going on. So if Vel was here, he would, if I was Vel, I would be saying... Vel is talking in the microphone right now. And you sort of have to have a conversation with someone who's literally just describing what's going on. And we fell in love with him. He was so fun to write. He and has very few social graces. Very few social graces, <laughs> but in an endearing way. So There's a lot of comedy involved yeah. with Vel. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And um, what else we got here? And then, of course, there's what's happening right now with Boldly Go. And what's really cool about Boldly Go is you fall in love with the characters from... Starfleet Academy, and I think it's about issue, I don't know, six or so of Boldly Go, where the characters, um, who we know from the Kelvin timeline, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, uh, go back to the Academy for some reason, and or actually, it's not the Academy, they go to Romulus or something. That's right. They, uh, the, the cadets basically get to go on a field trip. Right, so, the, our, so Kirk and Spock interact, and it's like, hey, I know those kids from the other comic book. Look at that. That's yeah, a lot of Yeah, it's really fun. fun. And my partner in crime, my boss on the comics, is Sarah Gatos, the editor at IDW. And she's great about just like being open and encouraging me to try crazy stuff and build out a world where we can introduce characters and then have them grow over the series. Um, John Van Sitters and Risa Kessler are the CBS and Paramount reps, respectively. And together, the four of us... Um, we're a small unit, and to, to have that access to the studio peeps that actually own the IP and decide what you can do uh, is really valuable and I think, I think helps the end product because there's not too many cooks in the kitchen, and they're more interested in, in saying, like, yes, let's try that, rather than just wagging their finger and saying no. Yeah. yeah. And it's some really nifty stuff that's happening in, in Boldly Go right now. It it's, takes place, if the last shot of Star Trek Beyond is... The three of them are looking up and watching the new Enterprise get built. 
well, it doesn't just get built in a day, so what are these characters going to do? Are they just going to go take a nap? No. Yeah. So Spock and Uhura go to, Vul to New Vulcan to, like, take a vacation, and stuff happens. Sabbatical. A sabbatical. Kirk, he's not just going to sit on his hands, so he gets assigned to another ship. And then they meet the Borg, uh, then Sulu is there, and his husband is somewhere else, and there's, there's all kinds of problems. And then what's really cool is that you brought back my favorite character from the movies. Uh, you get an awful lot of Jayla. So Jayla is actually in the Academy with these other characters. Yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with Jayla these days. Yeah. So if you're at the end of Beyond, she gets into the... Actually, I should know this. She's going she's gonna, to... She's applying to the Academy, or she got in? In the last scene... I have convention brain. I can't remember. implied that Scotty uh, helped her helped with her, her get in. admissions test, yes, and she's gonna, going to the Academy. So, and so, she's wearing that really cool kind of, like, tan pants, you know? Yeah. It's very nice. So in the comic, we show her arrival... We, we have an, uh, it's issue number five of Boldly Go. You can find it online, um, which is the backstory of Jayla and her family and how she came to be on Crawl's planet. And then we, um, spoiler alert, we end it with her arriving at the Academy. And if we do volume two of Starfleet Academy, which everyone wants to, it's just a matter of, we can only put out so many Star Trek comics every month. Right. So we want to do volume two, which would be Jayla as a cadet on Earth. Um, so she is, that's a fascinating story because she has had to fight for herself to stay alive. If you saw Beyond, you know that she's incredible with technology and um, how does that, how does a person like that adjust to going to school? Right. Um, and she's very independent yeah. and has had to fend for herself and to sort of, so, kind of socialize with a group is not her, Absolutely. Uh, not and, her usual thing. Part of me is like, would she just like run around San Francisco like Batman, just like fighting <laughs> evil? Like, it's gonna get weird in volume two. So it's pretty cool. So tell us a little bit about the process. I mean, yep. you know, a random, uh, a random issue. I mean, are you working on just that one, or are you working on issue nine while you're finishing issue eight and pre-writing issue ten? Yeah. How does the process work? That's a good question. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of like scripting an issue. Comics is, is really fun to work in because there's always something going on. So at any given time, I'm looking at the art coming in from, say, issue 9. Um, and then issue 10, I've just finished scripting. But we're also getting letters from issue 8, so we got to go through and proof that. So there's, there's this rolling. You always feel like you're creating and doing something. And then, and then I'm thinking about issue 11, 12, 13. Yeah. So... It's an ongoing thing. But and then, when the artwork comes back, does that ever make you readjust some of the dialogue? That's a good question. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony and I have pretty good mind meld at this point. Tony Chastine's the amazing Star Trek Bull to Go artist. Tony's going to be drawing the Star Trek Discovery prequel comic. And actually, I have some prints of the first cover for Star Trek Discovery. So if you guys want to come up at any time and grab one, you're welcome to. Um, but yeah, Tony will draw th things sometimes that make me, uh, he, he sort of adds a, emotion and dimension to it that maybe I hadn't thought of, and I'll tweak the dialogue. I mean, yeah. Sarah will get mad at me if I try to rewrite the whole issue after the art is done, and the letters will definitely kill me. Uh, but there's a chance when, when we get a lettered proof, which is essentially the finished comic um, that you read, 
we can go through and make, I'll, I'll have like 10 or 12 different word balloons that I want to tweak or cut. Because a lot of times, like, I don't need to describe in the word balloon what Tony's already drawn. Right, right. And, and the other thing is, like, in comics, every word that the writer writes literally covers up a piece of art. Like, it might be just a plain blue background, or it might be, if the balloon's too big, it'll be like covering just a sliver of a character's head. So you're trying to, like, cut it all down. Yeah. And, yeah. Less is more. Less is more. That's fantastic. Well, in, in fact, sorry, one yeah. thing. In the Jayla issue, um, it opens with her uh, bursting into tears in, her, um, in the derelict ship in the Franklin. And I had all this, like, voiceover... And I just took it out because Tony's, Tony's pages were just so amazing. And yeah. sometimes no words is more powerful than... Absolutely. I still got paid for that page. Though. Yeah, that's right. It does not get paid by the words, so that's what's good. And now something that we didn't mention, I don't have any images from it, I don't think, but um, uh, Mike has been very involved in the greatest comics crossover of, uh, of the year and of last year and the year before, which is the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover which is just a nerd paradise and um that's volume three it's called nerd yeah, paradise. it's a volume three welcome to nerd paradise uh it's just so cool to see the enterprise with you know 3600 sectors of space cops and um you know coming into uh you know you've already kind of got your feet on the ground with star trek you've been doing a lot of it and then to say okay i feel comfortable with trek let me take on another property that is so huge and so beloved and is actually even older than Star Trek. Is, Green Lantern goes back to 1940. Alan Scott and Doiby Dickles, his little taxi cab wow. buddy. I did not know that. <laughs> that golden age, golden age of, uh, of Green Lantern. Um, so what was that like? That Was it intimidating? Was it exciting? Was it a little it both? Was, it was a little bit of both, yeah. I mean, Star Trek lore is deep. Green Lantern lore is crazy, especially the last 10 to 15 years where Jeff Johns has reinvented it in an incredible way and created the whole spectrum of rings. Yeah. Um, it's a, that's a deep dive, but I'd, I'd worked with DC before on, on Supergirl, and I had a, a comfort level with the DC universe that was there, and then Trek and Lantern actually um, meld together really well. I mean, they're sort of both space cop stories. They're space cop stories, and uh, Hal Jordan and... Uh, Kirk, I mean, there was a little rumor for a while when they were rebooting that's, that's right. the DC we movies. We were working on it, and it was like, oh my God. There was talk that Chris Pine would play Hal Jordan. Yeah. It's not happening now because he's Steve uh, Trevor in Wonder Woman. Um, and in fact, one of the variant covers was a shot of Chris Pine's Kirk and, Chris, and Hal Jordan, and it was like, it's kind of the same guy. They look a lot alike. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be weird? So. That'd be weird. And I didn't want to have them fight, because that always happens when you have, like, two heroes team up, and the first thing they do is just start punching each other. But I thought, like, these guys, they're not that dumb. Like, they're going to know that, okay, this guy's not my enemy, but I still wanted to play with the idea that they're both, like, alpha male test pilot types, you know, so... There was a little bit of, of, of static about who outranked whom. Like, who got to sit in the captain's I got in chair. trouble for that, actually. Oh, really? Apparently, yeah, because I had Hal as a captain in the Air Force, and if anyone out there, feel free to correct me. And I had them implying that they were both captains, but someone pointed out that a captain in a naval rank, which is essentially what Kirk is, yeah. he's Navy, 
outranks a captain in the Air Force. Yeah. I could be wrong, but somebody tell that, that to out. Hal Jordan though. He's not going to exactly. Care. <laughs> but but and then the, by the end of the story, they're best friends. Oh yeah, they're best buddies by the end. But there is a moment like who gets to sit where. So, yeah. um, you know, we have a few minutes. If there's anybody with some questions, uh, if anybody wants to shout out a question, you may. We got a question right yes. here. Oh, Have we I, seen the last of Commander Valez, she's asking. Sarah's right there. I was talking to Sarah about this this morning. And uh, no, we have not. The trouble is that I run off and follow other stories that get my attention. And I realize, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to get back to Valis for like six months. But um, I she, love that you love her. I love her. And uh, I want to bring her back. And you, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it. Uh, but I feel like... The way we left her was the right story beat in that moment, and it felt right. But now I'm like, how do we get her back? <laughs> You're talking about this is the Romulan who served yeah. with... This, the... Oh, sorry, yeah. This is a, on the Endeavor. The Endeavor is the ship that Kirk is the acting captain of, and it has a Romulan um, first officer, this flame-haired Romulan woman, and the idea was that her parents fled the Romulan Empire because they hated it and they were accepted uh, on Earth as refugees, and Vallis was born on Earth, and just, like, she considers herself an Earthling, um, but she's not, she, uh, genetically. She's a, she's a Romulan, and what happens when the Starfleet ship she's on comes into contact with the Romulans? So she's a really interesting character. Thank you for... Yeah, I, I thought for sure that she and Kirk were going to hook up. Well, it's... She'll be back. It was like page three, issue one. I'm like romance, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah serious. But he's with he's with Hal Jordan right now. So right, right, right. Of course, of course. I got confused. So you said that you uh, when you were work, you mentioned Jeff Johns before. Has, did, has Jeff Johns read your stuff? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm a little scared about it, actually. All right, you have not gotten feedback. You I haven't have, gotten a tweet I from him. Read, yeah, because Jeff, you know, he's created so much great stuff, and the last thing I would want to do is Jeff's like, that's not. That's not right. Have we got any other questions for Mike before we uh, move on to our next guest? Uh, well, we do have some images here. It's the front cover. and um, Yeah, you... please, please come up and get one of these uh, prints because I've got one billion of them and yeah. I can't take them all home. So. Come get it and get, get your picture taken with uh, Mike Johnson. I... Shake the hand that shook the hand of, 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 of Sarah Gatos. Yes. Shake the hand that shook the hand of Sarah Gatos. It can happen to you right here on the stage. Thanks thank so you, much, thank everybody. Thank you all for coming. Woohoo! Thanks. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Well, I've got a question for you. This is one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek, and I'm not joking. I want you to spell Tuvix. T-U-V-I-X. Very good. We're doing good. The beginner level is, is of no match. Come on up. And it's Michelle, right? Yes. Michelle from Texas. Harper, Kansas. Ah, oh, Kansas, Texas, well, the same thing. I was All right. born in Texas. Oh, she's born in Texas. <laughs> I knew that somehow. Um, there is an alien species 
that Mr. Spock is a member of. It's called Vulcan. Can you spell Vulcan? V-U-L-C-A-N. That is correct. Very well done. We got it. Our next guest, come on up. And your name is Neil, right? No, it's Brian, actually. Brian, it's so good to see you again. Brian, um, there's a man on my shirt. He goes by the name of Quark. He is a Ferengi, and I'd like for you to spell the word Ferengi. Ferengi. F-E-R-E-N-G-I. Yes! Very well done. <laughs> Next up. Oh. <laughs> All right, this one should be easy because it was the one I used uh, as an example. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was on here. Ken, what is your name, sir? Uh, my name is John, and I am from right here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, how about that? John, there's a fellow on the bridge of the original series. He goes by the name of Spock. Can you spell his name? S-P-O-C-K. Yes, very good. <clears throat> Okay, our next guest. Where are you from, sir? I'm from Pittsburgh, PA. Hey, Pittsburgh. What's your name? Mike. Mike. Mike, there are uh, some creatures out there, out there in the galaxy. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but they always have great honor. They are Klingons. Can you spell the word Klingon? Klingon. K-L-I-N-G-O-N. Very good. Well done. Our, our next guest, it's Tim, right? Me? Ian, Tim. There's an I in there I'm somewhere. literally wearing a name tag. All right, he's wearing a name tag, it says Ian. Ian, where are you from? Seattle, Washington. All right, Seattle, Washington. How about it? Uh, if you ever want to get your hair cut on the Enterprise D, you're going to go to a fellow by the name of Mott, and he is a Bolian. Can you spell Bolian? Bolian, B-O-L-I-A-N. Yes, well done, well done. I mean, it's got my name. I, it's Bol Ian. That's right. Very good. Uh, next up, and we are coming to the end of our first round. Uh, we just did Bol Ian. What is your name, sir? My name's John. I'm from Sydney, Australia. Oh, John from Australia. Fantastic. Well, you know, our friend Holly is dressed like Ensign Rowe over there, and Ensign Rowe, of course, is a Bajoran. Can you spell Bajoran? Bajoran, B-A-J-O-R-A-N. Yes, very good, very good. All right. Hey, how you doing? Good. Here comes uh, Sam from the UK. Hi. And it is time for you to try and spell, oh, these guys are creepy and weird and they wear helmets. Can you spell Breen? Breen, B-R-E-E-N. Our double E N. That is correct. We will accept double E, and because you're British, we even accept treble E if you had to say it at some point. Very good. Very nice. And uh, our last one from round one. Come on up. I hope that it's going to be a slam dunk, and everybody gets their first one right. No pressure, by the way, if it doesn't happen. What is your name? Kristen. Kristen, where are you from? Houston, Texas. Kristen from Houston. Uh, ah, the extremely xenophobic non-humanoid and very punctual race known as the Tholians. Can you spell Tholian? Tholian. T-H-O-L-I-A-N. Yes! Very good. 
So you know what happened, Brian? Everybody got round one right in beginner. We have more beginner questions, but I say no. It's time to go to intermediate. Let's upgrade. All right. Enough of this pussyfooting around. Let's go straight. What were some of the other beginner words? Oh, we had fizzbit in there. That would have been fun. Spock, really? <laughs> fizzbin, Lita, Sarek, none of that. We're going to do any of that. We're going straight to intermediate. Okay. He is the first man in warp drive. He goes by the name of Zephram. Can you spell Zephram? Zephram. Z-E-P-H-R-A-M. Oh, no. Oh, Nobody's no. perfect. Catastrophe. And what was the correct spelling of Zephram? Uh, so that was my question. We're not asking her to spell Zephram. We're moving on, right? Correct. The correct spelling. Don't take it too bad. It was Z-E-F, whereas you had Z-E-P-H. It's, it's, it's a pretty easy mistake, although you should feel horrible about being the first one to get one wrong. Please, somebody buy him a drink. Okay, we had Zephram. It's time to spell Cochrane. Zephram Cochrane, can you spell Cochrane? C-O-C-H-R-A-N. I, I, I was hoping you'd add something in there. You left off the E at the end. Oh, no. Boo. <clears throat> please. Please, can, can the, the two of you side by side, a photo of a failed Zephram Cochran together. <laughs> the both of you not making it into warp drive. Oh, so, so upsetting. Okay. Now, I'm going to make this one as, uh, I'm going to say it as, as slowly as I can. Our friend Dr. Julian Bashir had a beloved teddy bear, and it was called Kukalaka. Can you spell Kukalaka? K-U-K-A-L-A-T-A? Oh, it's so close! Oh, so close! You lost a K. Uh, you said Kukalata, and it's Kukalaka. Got it's it. Leviosa, not Leviosa, but that was so close. A big round of applause. You did very good. You made it into the second round. So we still have great admiration for your work. A big round of applause. Okay. Are you feeling it? I'm, yes. All right. Now remember, I'm going to point out again that in this game, things like punctuation, remember Jean-Luc had the dash and that yeah. counted. Punctuation does count. Um... Uh, it is a very common thing to see in Star Trek. It is the traditional Klingon sword. It is called the Batleth. Okay. Can you spell Batleth? B-A-T apostrophe L-E-T-H. Yes! Very good! Whew. Oh, that was exciting. Breaking out into a sweat here. Okay, Michelle, let's not, get, let's not let her show you up. Uh, there is the Beta Z word for beloved that Deanna and Will called one another. It is Imzadi. Can you spell Imzadi? Imzadi. I-M-Z-A-D-I. Very good. Very good. All right, next guest. 
It's one of the most famous Klingon words. It means success. Can you spell kapla? Kapla. Q-A-P-L-A apostrophe. Yes, very good. Did not leave off the apostrophe. I was worried and I was a fool. Um, hey, uh, Brian. Yeah. Step into my office for a second. Absolutely. Oh, I don't like the looks of this. <laughs> Sorry. What are we doing about... Doesn't matter? Okay. Don't worry. Uh, a title given to the Ferengi leaders that's approximately equivalent to a Starfleet captain. Can you spell Damon? Damon. D-A-I-M-O-N. Very good. Very good. Uh, in its traditional Ferengi uh, translation, uh, there's a capital M in there, but that does not count, but this guy would have known it anyhow. All right, come on in. All right, it's getting good. Uh, we all remember that uh, Jordy LaForge had uh, a fantasy girlfriend that was a little bit of a creepy episode. Her name was Dr. Leah Brahms. Can you spell Brahms? <clears throat> Brahms, B-R-A-H-M-S. Yes, very good. Come on up, sir. Come on up, Ian. Ian, yes, one of the most famous planetoids out there uh, is called Kittimer. Can you spell Kittimer? Kittimer, K-H-I-T-O-M-E-R. Very good. No stopping Ian. Okay. Get ready for this one, sir. There's a business, a corporation on the 20th century Earth founded by Henry Starling. It's called Chronoworks. Can you spell Chronoworks? K-R-O-N-O dash, I guess, W-O-R-X. That is incorrect. That is incorrect, but uh, that was a toughie. You got the X right, but it was a C and not a K. It's C-H-R-O-N-O-W-E-R-X. I don't have stock in Chronoworks, so, you know, I don't take it personally. Um, question for you. The formerly inhabited planet in the Catan star system called Catan. C-A-T-A-N. I'm afraid that is incorrect. I'm sorry. It's K-A-T-A-A-N. We'll get you next time. We'll get you next time. Okay. Come on up. It, um, Chrissy, right? Hey, see? I remember her name. It's Ian I can't remember. Chrissy, uh, we all remember the northern province of Catan, Resic. Can you spell Resic? Resic. R-E-S-S-I-K. Yes, very good. Very good. And that brings us back around again. Brian, should we do one more at intermediate or kick it on up to... I say let's do one more in intermediate. One more intermediate. One more intermediate before we blast them out into cyberspace. Uh, so come on up. We just did Resic. Okay. There was a native of the planet of Catan and his best friend of Cayman... His name was Bataille. Can you name Bataille? Spell Bataille. B-A-T-A-I. Very good. Fantastic. 
All right. It's getting serious now. The legendary mytho-historical figure of the Klingon faith, Kalis. Can you name, can you spell Kalis? Kalis. Kalis. K-A-H-L-E-S-S. -S. Very good. Very good. Now, you can't have Kalis without the guy that he killed, the Klingon mytho-historical figure and brother of Kalis, the unforgettable, can you spell Morath? No, Morath he didn't kill. It was, all right, never mind. Who cares? Morath, can you spell Morath, the Klingon? Morath, M-O-R-A-T-H. Very good, very good. Okay, we're getting there. Um, the Klingon concept of uh, the soul or the living spirit is called a katra. Can you spell katra? K-A-T-R-A. That is correct. And um, we've got two more before we loop around again. I think this is going to be a good one. Klingon coffee. It's called Rock the Gino. Can you spell Rock the Gino? Rock the Gino. Um, <clears throat> R-H-A-K-T-A-J-I-N-O. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. You had everything in there, but you threw in an extra H you didn't need. So, uh, but a big round of applause for our friend here who, uh, yeah. All right, one more at Intermediate. All right, we know her and love her. She is the chief engineer on Voyager, Belana Torres. Can you spell Belana? Belana B apostrophe E L A N N A. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> well done. <coughs> and one more. Can you spell Shaka, as in Shaka when the walls fell? Shaka, S-H-A-K-A. -A. Yes, very good. <coughs> what do you think, expert? I think let's go expert. All right, it's time to really kick it up. Brace yourselves. Brace yourselves. Because it's going from things like Shaka to things like, oh my God. Here we go. She was Worf's baby mama. Her name is Kalar. Can you spell Kalar? K apostrophe E. H L E Y A R. It was so close! It was so close! Right at the very end, you threw in an A you didn't need. K apostrophe E H L E Y R. But a big round of applause for making it into the expert round. The Klingon homeworld in Federation Standard is called Kronos, but if you ask your average Klingon, they call it Kronos. Can you spell it? Kronos. Q-O-N-O. 
S. Very close. You had all the letters, but you missed an apostrophe. It's Q O apostrophe N O S. Okay. Uh, but but well done. Well done. Very good. Brian, what happens if everybody loses and Chrissy is the only one left standing? Then she wins. All right, she good. Wins. <laughs> That's not going to happen. All right, here we go. It's a, it's a pharmaceutical used for pain relief, and it's called acenoliathin. I stand corrected. I can repeat it if you like. Please. It's called acenoliathin. Acenoliathin. A-C-I-N-E-O-L-I-T-H-I-N-E. -E. That is incorrect. <laughs> that is incorrect. <coughs> All right. There is a traditional Bajoran musical instrument and it's called the Bellaclavion. And I'll say it again, the Bellaclavion. Can you spell Bellaclavion? B-E-L-A-K-L-A-V-I-O-N. Yes! <laughs> Boom! The Bellaclavion. The Bella Clavion, he got it. Chrissy's like, oh man, thought I had that one down. But this guy's back. And this, I'm doomed. This guy with no name that I can't remember. Here we go, you ready? There is a major city on the planet of Vulcan and it's called Shikar. Can you spell Shikar? Shikar? S-H-I-R-K-A-H-R? That is incorrect. That is incorrect. I'm sorry. It was S-H-I-K-A-H-R. You made it a little bit more difficult than you needed to. But uh, we give you a big round of applause for making it into the advance. Chrissy, you got to show them up. Oh boy. You can no do it. No you can do it. Pressure. There is a lightweight, rigid, corrosion-resistant, steel-gray metallic element that was a standard currency of Spatial Grid 539 in the Delta Quadrant. It is called beryllium. Can you spell beryllium? Beryllium. B-E-R-Y-L-L-I-U-M. Yes! Way to go! The Beryllium Bandit! Woof! So in this final round, in, the in this final round, what we do now is we bring both people up on the stage, both right. contestants. We bring both people up on the stage. Absolutely, and we're going to give to you one word. If you misspell it, she gets a chance. If she also misspells it, we start over again. Oh boy. With the same word or a new word? New word. Okay. If you do spell it correctly, she still gets to steal it by spelling the next word correctly. Oh boy. If she does not, you take the prize. 
In other words, everybody get comfortable. This is going to take a while, all right? All right, here we go. Here we go. Oof. There's an ancient species from the planet in the Gamma Quadrant whose history and culture were preserved. After their destruction, Captain Benjamin Sisko built a clock from these records. The species is called Saltana. Can you spell Saltana? S-A-L-T-A-N-A-H. Oh, that is incorrect. That is incorrect. Chrissy, please step forward. Can you spell Saltana? Saltana. S-A-L-T-A-N-A-A. That is also incorrect. It's S-A-L-T-A-H apostrophe N-A. So now we're going to go on to the next word. And this one, I think, uh, I think, I think somebody's going to get this one. It's from the great episode uh, with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We all remember that episode where Seven of Nine beat the hell out of him. The popular spectator sport in the Delta Quadrant invented by the Norcadians, the sport was called Sunkatsi. Can you spell Sunkatsi? S-O-O-N-K-A-T-S-I. That is incorrect. That is incorrect. And all the pressure in the galaxy is on Chrissy's shoulders if she can spell Sunkatsi. Sunkatsi. T-U-T-S-U. Oh! You had it. You had it. And you did slip away. Brian says no. Blame him. We got to do it again. She was, she was going right. It was T. I, I believe me, I know. It's T S U N K A T S E. It was so close. Um, and now we got to do another one. And I don't even know if I know how to say that. So I'm going to skip forward a little bit. Well, there's something that I do know, and I think everybody knows. There's the non corporeal being an enemy of the Bajoran prophets. It's called the Pa Wraith. Can you spell Pa-Wraith? P-A-H-W-R-A-I-T-H. That is incorrect. Chrissy, you have an opportunity again to steal it. Can you spell Pa-Wraith? Pa-Wraith. P-A-H apostrophe W-R-A-I-T-H. Oh, so close. No, it's not apostrophe. It's a dash. It's P-A-H... Dash! Oh, oh my God. We're gonna do it again. You ready? Here's another one that I think you're all gonna love. There's the traditional Klingon warrior's knife, and it's called a duktach. Is I pronounced that correct? A duk, a duktach. Can you spell duktach? D apostrophe T A G H. No, that's not how it's spelled. Can you, Chrissy, spell duktach? <laughs> that was how I was going to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, D apostrophe T 
T-A-U-G-H? No, not quite. <laughs> no. It's actually D apostrophe K space T-A-H-G. Oh, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. The mythical, mythical Klingon beast who guards the gates of Grethor is called Feklir. Can you spell Feklir? F-E-K apostrophe L-R. Oh! Oh! So close. So close. Can you steal it by spelling Feklir? F-E-K apostrophe L-I-R. Arg! Also very close. <laughs> All right, what else we got? I, I, I think she and I both deserve prizes. I think point. you both deserve... This is like the, uh, that episode on Battlestar where they're beating the hell out of each other and just collapsing. But we got one more. I think this is going to be it. I think this is going to be the one. There's the, uh, it's a species, a warp-capable species that we always hear about but never actually saw called the Tsenkethi. Can you spell Tsenkethi? S-E-N-K-E-T-H-I. That is incorrect. <laughs> T-Z-E-N apostrophe K-E-T-H-I. Oh, you darn it! You had it, but you put an apostrophe in where you didn't need it. You had all the letters. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I'm being nibbled to death by cats. Oh, my God. All right, all right. Here we go. Uh, um, <laughs> this is what I, how I feel. When T'Pau shouted, Kroika, to make it stop. <laughs> Can you spell Kroika? I think it was pronounced Kroika, wasn't it? I... You know, we, let's all say it together. Kroika! Say, say it again. Uh, the way I say it, looking at the word, Kroika! You use it in a sentence, you say, Kroika, stop fighting. Talk it out. <laughs> the pal said it in a mock time. One more time. Kroika! K-R-I-K-A. That is incorrect. <laughs> Kroika! Remember Tapau? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> K-R-Y-K-A. That is also incorrect. <laughs> what do you think? Is it a tie? <laughs> Brian, are we allowed to do ties or you want to go one more round? Let's do one more round. All right. You guys were so almost off the hook. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I like this one. It's from the planet of Risa. If you remember, there was the sexual rite originating on the pleasure planet of Risa, and it was called Jamaharon. <laughs> this guy remembers. <laughs> Can you spell Jamaharon? J A M A. Apostrophe H A R O N. That is incorrect. Chrissy for the win. Jamaharon. J A M A. J R O N. Oh, God. Oh. 
apostrophes. No, right? no apostrophes in that one. No apostrophes in that one. Oh, I think that makes it a tie, right? Because it's brutal. Who, who wants it to be a tie? Who wants it to be a battle to the bloody end? Um, you want to do one more? You want to do one more? They're best friends now. This is a good one. This is a good one. We're going to do one more, and then I swear you're off the hook, okay? There was the trill rite of closure. See, we're talking about closure, right? The trill rite of closure was called Giantara. You remember that episode? The Giantara episode? Yeah. yeah. But you don't remember how to spell it. That's the problem. Anyway, Giantara. If you can spell Giantara, you will win, and you will finally get off the stage. If you spell it wrong, Chrissy's got a chance to steal it. Let's hear it. Giantara. G-I-A-N-T. Don't even bother going any further. I'm sorry, man. Come on, Chrissy, you can do it. Giantara. Giantara. Let's all say it together. Giantara. J-I-A-N-T-A-R-A. It's a tie. It's a tie. It was Z-H-I-N-T-A-R-A. They both are great sports, and they both get an awesome messenger bag with all kinds of really groovy stuff. Big round of applause for Chrissy and for John. Chrissy and John, how about them? They're both winners, and all the others who, who played, they did very well, but nobody did as well as Chrissy and John. We're very happy, and for God's sakes, they deserve what they won there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.